Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's show, inflation. Yes, it's hit a 40-year high. Emory University professor and economist Tom Smith weighs in on what the climbing cost of goods means for folks like us, consumers. And he will answer the question as best he can, are we headed for a recession? Also, we'll meet the search and rescue team and find out what they do at Lake Lanier. It's a lot more than what you think. Plus, Wash Day Diaries, a new graphic novel about four black women living in the Bronx. Those conversations coming up, but first this. Some breaking news regarding Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis's ongoing investigation regarding former President Donald Trump intentionally trying to overturn the 2020 election. Now, this is a report from Yahoo News, which reads, quotes, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis has sent so-called target letters to prominent Georgia Republicans informing them they could be indicted for their role in a scheme to appoint alternate electors pledged to the former president despite Joe Biden's victory in the state. And that is according to legal sources familiar with the matter. Close quote. Now, as for those prominent Republicans sent letters, Yahoo News reports it's Republican State Senator Burt Jones, who's also running for lieutenant governor, David Schaefer, the chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, and State Senator Brandon Beach. Now, at the time of this broadcast, WABE has not confirmed the letters were sent. There will be more later during All Things Considered, hosted by Jim Burris. In related news, South Carolina U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham is continuing to fight the subpoena from Fulton County and the special grand jury looking into criminal interference of Georgia's 2020 elections. This is a federal judge temporarily halted the court subpoena demanding the senator's testimony. WAB's Raul Bali looks at what is next. In a federal court filing, Graham's lawyers say he was not trying to interfere with Georgia's elections when he called Georgia Secretary of State Rad Raffensperger and the secretary's staff. In a subpoena request, there's a particular focus on Graham asking the secretary's office about, quote, re-examining certain absentee ballots in Georgia in order to explore the possibility of a more favorable outcome for former President Donald Trump. Graham's lawyers argue the Republican senator has sovereign immunity from state court and a constitutional protection because these issues are related to his duties as senator. In a statement to the Associated Press, Graham says, quote, What I'm trying to do is my day job. A Wednesday hearing has been scheduled on whether Graham is a necessary witness for the Fulton County Special Grand Jury. Raul Bally, WABE News. It's the first public school system in the metro area to allow some employees to carry firearms. The Cobb County School Board last night approved a policy that would let certain personnel carry guns in schools that would not include teachers. The move was met with protests from some in the audience. We are ready to vote on agenda item number seven. Do I have a motion? Employees would have to be authorized by the district to carry a weapon and would be required to complete firearms training. 
Meantime, the board also voted to keep the district's property tax rate the same, but with rising home values, the district will receive about $65 million more than expected from local taxes. And inflation in the Atlanta area continued to rank among the highest in the country. That's according to federal data released this week. And yes, housing prices continue to be the driving force, as we hear from Stephanie Stokes. In Atlanta, home costs and rents have increased faster than pretty much any other city, except Phoenix. And the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics found that was still the case last month. Rents in Atlanta, according to Zillow, have gone up 30 percent over two years. The real estate site now estimates the average rent is close to $2,000. And real estate data shows sales prices haven't slowed. The Georgia Multiple Listing Service put the year-over-year increase at nearly 20% in June, with a median sales price over $400,000. Housing expenses make up a third of the federal cost-of-living estimates. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. Well, let's take this conversation a bit further about inflation. Join me now from Emory University professor and economist Tom Smith. Professor Smith, welcome back. Hey, how are you doing, Rose? Nice to see you, hear from you. Absolutely. Let's begin here because I want to prove that I've been paying attention all these years to everything you've said in the past. Are you oh, ready, sir? Cool. All right. I'm, I'm writing this down. All right, here we go. Gotcha. So when inflation is too high, the Federal Reserve typically raises interest rates, right? That's right. Very good. To slow the economy and bring inflation down, right? That's right. When the party gets going, take away the punch bowl. You got it. <laughs> well, the problem, Professor Smith, is who suffers the most? Take it away. Ooh, the people who enjoy the punch, I yeah. suppose, right? So, uh, you know, th- here's so here's what we'll see, and, and it's probably going to take an, another month or two for you to see the slowdowns. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the higher uh, interest rates and higher interest rate targets are going to translate into higher uh, mortgage yep. uh, rates, right? And and they have actually. Mm-hmm. So we're actually starting to see a slowdown there. So if you were, let's say, on the cusp, thinking about buying a house and starting to apply for mortgages, all of a sudden your mortgage rate went up. And so you're less likely to be able to get into as large of a house as you thought before. So, I mean, primarily, you're the one that's going to suffer from this is if you're thinking about buying a house. But as we just heard in that report from Stephanie Stokes, it appears that housing prices continue to be a driving force, even though, look, I don't know where these folks work. Maybe they got a lot of money. I don't know. But that has not taken a, a, a dip enough for folks to feel comfortable and say, you know what, I, I now I, I think I do want to buy. But the prices are just too high, Tom. Yeah, they are really high. I mean, so there's so two forces that are working at the same time, and they're working kind of counteractive to each other. One of them is that um, you still have uh, this lack of people wanting to go back to work and more and more employers are saying fine work from home work from wherever you want that loosening of the at you know an office requirement Mm -hmm. means that people can now pursue working at home so they can say well i'm gonna go find a house that makes sense for me or i can work out of gonna move up to you know lake lanier or something right i can work from home while Mm -hmm. you know looking at the lake all day so there's this driving force this increase in demand at the same time the Fed is increasing rates, which is slowing that down. We're not likely to see the Fed's impact for maybe another month. I think they're going to make another move. They're going to increase target rates again. But then we'll start seeing it slow down for sure. Well, and speaking of the Fed, Chairman Jerome Powell some weeks ago, as he testified before Congress on the economy economy and how the Fed plans to fight inflation, he was somewhat optimistic. I want to take a listen to this clip. Of course, we're not 
We're not trying to provoke uh, and don't think that we will need to provoke a recession. But we do think it's absolutely essential that we restore price stability, uh, really for the benefit of, of the labor market as much as anything else. Well, Professor Smith, let's dissect that for our listeners. When he is talking about referring to restoring price stability, define that for our, our listeners here. What does that really mean? Well, the, just the ability to look forward and say, oh, I can budget you know, my household expenditures based on where I think prices are going to be for the next month, two months, three months, what have you. When you have as high of inflation as we've had for the last five or six months, it becomes incredibly difficult for you to do any kind of forecasting at all, right? So, I mean, every time you go to the grocery store, it's costing you an additional, you know, 10, 12, mm-hmm. 15, 20 bucks. I mean, how can you budget if you have no idea what the price of milk is going to be next week? So price stability, that is, get to a point where prices aren't going up at the same rate, which then allows people to say, okay, this is what the new normal is, but now I can forecast and I can budget appropriately. And is this all still at the core of this, the gridlock on the supply side in terms of logistics and also demand? Is that at the core? Again, obviously that is, right? Yeah. No, I mean, you're you're very smart observation, Rose. It's all of this is going back to the pandemic, like the start of the pandemic. And I mean, it seems like it's almost it's too much like doing going through this for two and a half years, almost Mm -hmm. really what's going on at the start of the pandemic, though, as you pointed out here, there was this gridlock and the gridlock was was when we went into this pandemic, people thought everybody was going to stop buying stuff. And then then factories and producers then slowed their production. They made what were called inventory adjustments. But then as consumers, we just went home, put on our pajamas and started pulling up Amazon or what have you and buying like crazy. Mm -hmm. So we did the opposite of what everybody thought we were going to do. And then that created this gap. And then that led to the supply chain issues. We are still seeing the ramifications or feeling the ramifications of that now years later. Well, when we started this conversation and I asked you to talk about who suffers the most. Now, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, when she questioned Chairman Powell, she focused on consumers taking the brunt of inflation and corporations, as as she called it, were, quote, blatantly profiteering. So for someone listening, saying, well, OK, Congress, Tom Smith, little folks like me and Rose, you know, lowly public radio host here we're, mm-hmm. we're, 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 we're feeling the thrust of this but corporations are making big profits uh, is that simply because they have an excuse i'm not saying they are but they have a reason to raise their prices so i think that that's a little bit too let's say black and white too simplistic Right. Because, I mean, now you're sort of lumping in every single corporation. Not everyone. In some kind of okay. large bucket. No. So, I mean, I mean, but I mean, I'm not trying to like split hairs with you or what have you. What I'm saying is that during the pandemic and I've talked to people from from companies that are in town mm-hmm. and during the pandemic, there were there was definitely an increase in the cost of fulfilling orders. Right. So like, OK, how do I get these components now? I got to go to a different factory that's going to cost me more. But during the pandemic, you also found companies very hesitant to increase prices because they would get a you know a real backlash. Right. Like, how dare you try to increase prices, price gouge us, if you will, you know, during the pandemic. And I think a lot of companies didn't, at least there's evidence, that a lot of companies did not increase their prices 
let's say, proportional to their increase in costs originally. Now they might be making up for that. So you say like they might have taken a hit on their costs Mm -hmm. and now they're sort of adding a price on top of a price on top of a price saying like, okay, you know, quarter three in 2020, we took a little bit of a hit. Now we can make it back. Is it fair then since, again, we're not picking on all the corporations, obviously that would be wrong, but is it fair to say, for example, some industries like grocery prices, which from what I understand soared over 11%, the highest in, in, in four decades. I mean, I buy eggs. I love eggs. I know what I used to pay a few months ago for <laughs> eggs, and I know what right. I paid last week for <laughs> eggs. Right. right. Now, right. the chick is not on strike, but I understand about the fuel. <laughs> I Look, I'm just... I'm keeping it real. I understand about the fuel no. that's needed to get the, you know, to get the eggs. I understand about the material that's needed to make the cartons and all that. Which do I need to go get my own chickens now? I mean, that's right. yeah. Some no, industries I, you are, you know, they're doing okay. So I, I think so. Your observation is is a good observation, and I think that we also have to think about this in a sort of a, a common sense and a pragmatic kind of way, sure. right? And say. Are there some companies who's who have increased costs and the prices that we are paying as consumers is reflective of those increase in costs? Mm-hmm. Surely there are, right? Are there other companies who are saying, well, you know what, now we've got a we've got a situation where we can increase prices a little bit more because consumers are willing to pay for them so that we can add some additional profit on the back of this? Are there companies that are doing that? Most certainly there are, right? Uh, it's, and it's, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go No, ahead. go ahead, finish. I was going to say, so it's, but which of those companies? I mean, you can, for publicly traded companies, you know, you can pour over their P&Ls and try to figure out, you know, which of the companies are, are sort of engaging in a little profit taking right now, which mm-hmm. companies are just really, um, you know, paying themselves back from, from more expensive operations during the brunt of the pandemic. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to say, just point to any old company and say, how dare you do this? You're profit taking. They might say, oh, we've got really good reasons for doing this. For example, right, a lot of airlines, right, I mean, the prices are going up, but there's a there's a huge shortage of, of pilots. I heard you talking to uh, to somebody from this industry just, I mean, it was yesterday. yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, there is a real challenge right now, like getting people to work in those sectors, as your, your guest was talking about, I think, in New York and air traffic controllers or something. Mm-hmm. And so it's so there is a real challenge. And so if an, if an airline says, I can't get pilots, I can't get pilots, and they have to increase prices because they have to pay their pilots more, that's not profit taking. That's just trying to solve a problem. And what we as a consumer end up doing is paying higher prices. So then based on what you just told me a moment ago, it could take a month or two before we really start to see maybe the positive end of, of what the with the interest rates hike. But we're also going into a, a, a part of the year where, you know, folks, holidays are coming up. Kids, kids going back sure. to school. So... Yeah. Although Chairman Powell is very optimistic about, about not heading into a recession, if in these next two months, and he also alluded to what you said, you know, we need to see the data as it comes back. Maybe in two months when this data comes back, what is he going to be looking at? What will the Fed be looking at to determine whether or not, okay, yes, our our our, infl- our interest rates hike worked or no, mm-hmm. we are definitely headed to a recession. Yeah, just for a little bit of backstory, when you hear him talking about not pushing us into a recession, this did happen in the 1980s when when Volcker 
who was the chair then, increased interest rates very high, but we had 11%, 12% inflation mm -hmm. and interest rates went way up and the economy basically took a stumble. And so this is a, this is the, the, the fear that he has, is talking to right there. So he's making small incremental movements, probably too small at the beginning of the year, 25 basis points, 50 basis points, he's making bigger movements. Now, I think they're paying attention to what the unemployment rate is. Mm -hmm. I think they're paying attention to um, productivity, um, capacity utilization. They're also paying attention to specific industries, like how much is the housing market starting to cool down? They don't want it to crash like in 2008, mm -hmm. but I don't think they'd mind it cooling down a little bit. And so you'd think there's, you know, a thousand economists who are working for the Fed and they're looking at a thousand data points. Hmm. It's an election year, a major election year, as you know. How much hmm. impact could what happens in November have on all this? Well, depending on who in Congress also who controls the Senate, obviously. I yeah. mean, all of this is connected. It is very connected. I mean, historically, people have voted with their, they say lunch bucket, right? These are sort of lunch bucket economic ideas, sort of like, okay, how much money is in your pocket determines whether or not you penalize or reward the party who is in power, especially mm -hmm. in the White House. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I know you didn't ask this question specifically, but I mean, if the economy is really, really not doing well, then the Democrats will really take it on the chin. And, but there is that it goes, there's another direction of this, right? I mean, depending on what the composition is of the Congress and the Senate next year, the ability to pass legislation, if we go into a recession, right, some kind of uh, fiscal policy mm -hmm. can get incredibly complicated. So there are, in, you know, huge number of moving pieces here. And I think that Powell is taking all those things into account. I mean, he's paying attention. He's paying attention. What are you going to be paying attention to then these next two months? Well, I am going to be keeping a track on unemployment rates. Clearly, I'm going to be keeping a track of things like um, just not only not only the price of housing, but the number of new home permits, uh, inventories, which have been adjusting in terms of housing. I look at labor force participation rates. Okay, and I'll be particularly um, interested in labor force participation rates for women after we go out of the summer into mm -hmm. September and October. And so, you know, probably about the half a dozen important, you know, uh, economic indicators there that are, that are going to tell me what's our next step. And absolutely. And then, of course, globally, we're still dealing with oil and gas prices. And then, of course, Russia and Ukraine. Emory University professor and economist Tom Smith doing what he does best, making the economy woes make sense. <laughs> Thank you, Rose. You're doing what you do best. Thank you for having on the guests that you have. It's very yeah, informative. Because I don't have the answer, but I know my eggs are high. <laughs> but I will continue to buy. Okay. Or I may find my neighborhood chicken lady. I don't know if I can't remember her name, but she has chickens and She exists. That market's going hot right now. Yeah, and she's they raised her price. I'm like, what you raising your prices for? <laughs> yeah, I got a I got a neighbor with chickens as well. And my neighbor's like, you know, he can just increase the price of his chickens, his chicken legs. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. The market, that's the market. Oh well, I'm here to do my best. Professor Smith, thank you so much for taking time. As always, I appreciate it. Thank you, Rose Scott. I appreciate it too. All right. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cf.org.
greateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. According to the CDC, every year in our nation, there are an estimated 3,960 fatal unintentional drownings. That includes boating-related drownings, and that's an average of 11 drowning deaths per day. And we should note that drowning deaths, they, they, the rates vary from state to state. Up in Hall County, Georgia, where Lake Lanier is a very popular destination spot, and especially this time of year. And that means it's busy for the Hall County Sheriff's Office Underwater Search and Rescue Unit. They're called the Dive Team. First formed back in 1979, Sergeant Chris Temple is the Dive Team Commander, and he's taking the time to join me now. How long have you been diving with Hall County? 22 years for the Sheriff's Office. I've been diving in Lake Lanier. Wow. And how many are, are on the dive team in total? Oh, it varies from year to year. Um, general, I mean, the average career of a diver is about five years in public safety. And generally, we have 10. Right now, we have seven. You know, often we hear with, within first responder units, including police to firefighter departments, that sometimes there's a little bit of trouble in attracting and, and retaining personnel. Do you have that challenge with your dive team? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You talk about diving, a lot of people think Baywatch, and then mm-hmm. we get out here, and it's Nowhere near as glamorous. No, and and sadly, because often you all are called when you all are called upon. It's it is very seriously. You all did not only respond though to just in Hall County, but you help neighboring counties sometimes, right? That's correct. We help um, any jurisdiction in Northeast Georgia. Mm. So basically, from I twenty north and I seventy five east to the state line. Sergeant, I'm curious, on a daily basis, how often are you all called upon? And I'm assuming it's with boating accidents and, and drownings. Well, it's, it's seasonal, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, in the summer, um, we can get called out as many as once or twice a week. Um, in the winter, not, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, mm-hmm. I, I've yet to figure out a, a, a rhythm. It just, it's erratic from year to year. Um, I can remember one year in particular, we responded to 13 drownings in a year in the summer. Wow. And then the next summer, it was only two. So, mm. Sergeant, I want to ask, so far this year, do you know the total number of deaths in Lake Lanier due to either boating accidents or drownings? Um, this year, I believe we're at six. Now, that's including all the jurisdictions. You know, mm-hmm. there's five counties that yeah. touch Lake Lanier. So. Mm. And the common circumstances related to these drowning deaths, what do you want folks to know about what, tip, typically, what are these common circumstances related to these drowning deaths where people are have put themselves at risk or unintentionally if someone was intoxicated and also trying to operate a, you know, a boat? Well, I mean, the biggest thing to keep yourself safe is, you know, the same rules that apply to any body of water. You know, don't go into water alone. Avoid drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, make good decisions. 
um, and use your PFDs. You know, if you're a weak swimmer or you have a young child or you have a, a medical condition, use a PFD. Um, anytime a vessel is moving, if you're on a, on a boat, have a PFD on. Um, it's just, just good decisions. Uh, most of it's common sense, but, you know, you can always talk to people that are familiar with the lake or whatever agency you're renting a boat from, and, mm-hmm. and they'll be more than happy to, to give you some good advice. Well, Sergeant, when I hear you say, and you've said it now a couple of times, use common sense, make good decisions. But often sometimes if it relates, because folks are out having a good time, you're on a boat, and obviously, you know, you're with friends, you want to have a good time, but making good decisions. Sometimes folks just don't exercise that. I agree, and I don't really know the fix for that, but mm-hmm. I would suggest that, you know, just like people talk about DUIs and vehicles, bring mm-hmm. along a designated driver, mm-hmm. you know, a, a mother hen, uh, a guardian, you know, whatever you want to call them. You know, try to find somebody in your party or in your group that's a responsible person that maybe don't uh, partake in alcohol mm-hmm. um, or, 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 you know, a little bit more seasoned, you know, a more adult person and, and have them kind of be the, the lookout for the group. Um, that, that, that'd be about the only fix that I could think of for people making poor decisions. You know, have somebody there with their wits about them that can kind of look over everybody. Well, and for years, and you, you know this more than anyone, when it comes to outreach and, and campaigns and, and PSAs and awareness and telling people to, as you've said, you've been saying, make good decisions, use common sense. But again, every year we, and, and again, you won't, don't want to assume because someone drowned, they didn't make a good decision or they wasn't practicing, you know, quote unquote, common sense. But when you are speaking with folks, and I, and I imagine your dive team does, you're all a part of the community. What are you reading? What message are you reinforcing to people beyond just this blanket of, hey, make good decisions? Well, you know, without trying to, to, to ruin mm-hmm. the experience of going to a place of recreation and enjoying your friends and the moment and the environment and the water, you know, it, it, it is water and enjoy it, but enjoy it within reason. Mm-hmm. And just know that 90, and that's probably being conservative, 90% of the drownings that we respond to mm-hmm. involve some types of, of substance abuse or alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these days everyone has cell phones. Uh, the last video that I watched from a, a friend on a boat, and we use these videos to help locate these drowning victims. But it was a 19-year-old young man, 19-year-old young man, hmm. with alcohol in his hand, and said he was hot. Set the drink down, took one step, and never broke the surface. Right there in front of all his friends, and that was no question in my mind, alcohol-related drowning accident. And it was easily preventable, and it was it was it's a tragedy, honestly. And Sergeant, um, and I'm certain no one on that boat would forget that. Absolutely, Sergeant. How deep is Lake Lanier? Do you think folks even understand just how deep that lake is? It uh, right outside the dam is about 140 feet, but there are places all along Lake Lanier, particularly in the main channel of the Chattahoochee River, 100 feet plus. Um, I myself, the deepest dive I've made is 122 feet looking for a victim of a boating accident mm-hmm. um, out in front of River Forks Park. 
Um, and, and the real challenge in Lake Lanier is you can be in a hundred, one in particular I'm thinking of right in front of Holiday Marina, mm-hmm. 102 feet of water, 102 feet of water, and at 40 feet we were hitting treetops. So that's 60-foot standing trees. And then the lake was built in the mid-50s, so you have 70 years of anchor lines, fishing streams, mm-hmm. whatever else has been thrown into the lake, suspended in these trees. They're not structurally sound. And it's just, it's very unsafe for divers to operate in an environment like that. So, I mean, there are victims in Lake Lanier that witnessed known drownings, and we just cannot find them. You cannot find them. Wow. There's 27 that I'm aware of. Hmm. Sergeant, as we wrap up our conversation, what do you want folks to know? You said, you know, you don't want to ruin people's good time on Lake Lanier. We wanted to do this story because we kept reading and hearing about these unintentional drownings, these boating accidents. I wanted to know what a typical day was like for you all. What do you want folks to know? Because I imagine you would love to have a day where you're not, you all are not called out, called out at all. Yes, ma'am. That would be the perfect holiday weekend. Um, but just know that Lake Lanier is no more dangerous or safer than any other body of water. I mean, it's it's a huge lake. It's like 58 square miles, over 38,000 acres. Mm-hmm. Um, last estimate, I think it was nearly 13 million visitors a year. So with that size and that volume of people, you're going to have accidents on the lake. It's, it's no more dangerous than any other body of water that I'm familiar with. But come here, enjoy the lake, enjoy your friends, enjoy your family, but just use Again, good judgment Mm -hmm. and use your PFDs and avoid, you know, drugs and alcohol and and come here and have fun and leave with good memories. Uh, Good memories. It's a good way to end this conversation. Sergeant Chris Temple is the dive team commander for the Hall County Sheriff's Department. Sergeant, thank you so much for taking the time and offering important information. Thank you for what you all do. Yes, ma'am. My pleasure. From WABE in Atlanta, Georgia, Closer Look continues. I'm Rose Scott. Okay, y'all get ready. I'm going to set the setting for you. Here's the place. It's the Bronx up in New York. Everybody got that? Four black women who are close friends maneuvering through life and all that it brings. Their stories are told around hair routine and the sisterhood bond that they share. It's a new graphic novel titled Wash Day Diaries. It's a joint venture between award-winning comics writer, editor, and publisher Jamelia Rouser and cartoonist Robin Smith. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. I'm joined now by one half of the team. Jamila, welcome. Thank you, Rose. So excited to be here. I want to begin by saying thank you. This is really, really cool. <laughs> this is really... And, and from And listen, from that very first page that reads, quote... To the black girls around the world, you are seen, you are beautiful. Take our listeners through how all this came about. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Yes, this uh, actually spawned from my first um, comic book, which was uh, Wash Day, which was a 
the first chapter or the first story in Wash Day Diaries. And I've always loved comics. And the thing that I really felt was missing was um, comics featuring Black women going through their everyday life. You know, we do get the superhero stuff. Mm -hmm. And we'll even get slice of life things from, uh, you know, not marginalized folks. Um, but I just wanted to see something that represented my friends and me. Um, and, uh, you know, and showing like, uh, highlighting our hair. And, and that was one of the things that I really wanted to show is like the, the time and care we put into, um, our hair, which is something that society deems unprofessional at times, ugly at times. Um, and despite all of that and in spite all of that, you know, we put a lot of care and I wanted to show black women that, you know, there is a place for them in comics that I see them um, and just making space for us in the comic book world um, and honoring them and and our routines. And even though when I have my wash day, I dread it. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you telling? <laughs> it is, it's not as beautiful as it looks in the comic, but, uh, you know, we do have two pages of detangling. So I try to keep it as, as authentic as possible. Listen, I have <laughs> I have locks all the way down my back. I'm there. I, I get it. Let's take our listeners <laughs> through these four friends. Um, I imagine that there's a little bit, is there a little bit of you in, in all of these sisters or... <laughs> <laughs> there is. It's interesting. Uh, there's a little bit of every I'm in, I'm in a little bit of everybody and my friends are kind of a little bit in everybody as well. Um, and I really wanted to kind of have uh, sisterhood and friendship is huge uh, themes for me and my work. And I really wanted to show not just, you know, the beauty of our hair care routines, but the beauty of friendship and black sisterhood and how we um, can depends on each other and that beautiful interdependence and uh, the different dynamics that our friends um, can have and, you know, how much we love each other. And even through our ups and downs, uh, we may not always get it right, but we always do care. And, um, and so it was really fun to be able to put that, combine that with the hair journey and um, the artist Robin Smith. Yeah through this journey of us creating, you know, the very first comic, Wash Day, the, the, the 27 page comic back in 2018, we became best friends. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a ton of friendship and love um, that you can really feel in this comic because we ourselves are really good friends. And then um, just the close bond that I have with my other friends, I just wanted readers to feel that, feel like, you know, oh, I can relate to this in my group chats and, and my best friends and going to brunch and things like that. So um, we don't we don't get to see a lot of that. We do get to see a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, black trauma and, mm -hmm. and things like that, I think is more focused. Um, those kind of stories are more focused on. And I wanted to um, have something lighter um, and that is still really important. I want to focus on a Robin. Unfortunately, she couldn't join us today. But when you look at when you first saw what she came up with for oh Kim, Nisha, Cookie, and Devine, mm -hmm. did you say, okay, she nailed it? Because they all yes. got different, different types of hair texture, different mm -hmm. facial features, you know, their backgrounds. How, how spot on did Robin do with these? Robin was amazing. I didn't have, um, I didn't give her a lot of um, very specific things about how I wanted the characters' faces to look. I just wanted to have a diverse range of skin tones, hair types, 
and body types. And so I think she did a really wonderful job and and creating like hair that actually looks real, you know, as a black woman who reads comics, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of black hair that is just not realistic. It's like, that's not our hair, how our hair lays. That's not how cornrows look. Um, so she, you know, is a wonderful artist. And um, I just, it just blew my, it blows my mind every time I would get a new page from her. It was just such a wonderful feeling. And why the Bronx? The Bronx is my quote unquote hometown. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's where I spent a lot of my 20s and, and that's where I spent most of my time with my very close friend group. Uh, I went to school in New York City. My my um, I'm a military brat, so I moved all mm -hmm. over the place. Uh, but my parents are from the Bronx, my family's from the Bronx. And so that is my, like, that's what I rep, although I am in hot Miami right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, Brooklyn gets a lot of shine. Uh, but, you know, I think thanks to like Cardi B and stuff, the Bronx mm -hmm. gets more, um, is getting more shine. And so the city is a part of, is kind of a character in itself as well. And I wanted to show, you know, the specific stuff that you can get in the Bronx or the experiences you can get going to the bodega and mm -hmm. the different trains, making sure they were very accurate, you know, like the train stations looked exactly like that train station because mm -hmm. um, I knew New Yorkers would be able to tell like that's not how the <laughs> Castle Hill train looks because <laughs> they will let you know oh they will they definitely will <laughs> and in the world of social media they'll put you like the sheet down look nothing like the Penn Station they or will, whatever yes <laughs> they will tag me and let me know <laughs> let me ask you this because your background mm -hmm. you mentioned and you talked about this in terms of graphic novels and comics and not seeing a lot that focuses on just black women, our everyday mm -hmm. experiences. This some, I've been reading some reviews and there was a, a woman on YouTube that actually did a, she does a hair like routine type, you know, do it yourself. And she also gave a review of the book. Did you see that? I have not. Oh my gosh. That sounds amazing. I need to find that. <laughs> yeah, she's got your book. I'm like, okay, she's giving y'all a shout out. I love out. that. How important is a, is a, a graphic novel like this right now? I think for me, it, it hits on so many different levels of how, why it's important. Um, I think it shows that all kinds of Black stories are important, not just the ones that are about, you know, trauma or, um, you know, the hardships that we go through, they are important as well. Mm -hmm. But we can also celebrate the love that's in our lives and friendships and things that seem mundane, you know, like washing our hair is actually a really big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think show, showing that and highlighting that um, is important. And it shows people a different um, way to uh, see Black stories and, and understand Black stories. Um, and also that it's adult uh, black women. We mm -hmm. do get a lot of comics that are for um, kids, you know, middle grade, young adult. And these are, this is a little bit more, y, a little bit older than YA. You know, these are adult women doing adult women things. And we don't get a lot of that in comics in general, period, let alone black women. Absolutely. And in fact, so. <laughs> and in fact, you touch upon it when you, when I think, I think it's Devine when she's trying to get her hair cornrowed. Mm -hmm. And she she's like, look, I can't go to work with my hair natural, not yep. after what happened last time. And she says, I can't deal with this <clears throat> stuff right now. Yes. That's real. <laughs> that it's is real. real. Experiences I've had personally, a lot of 
a lot of the stuff that happens um, is is based off of personal experience, not a straight up auto bio, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wanted there to be cursing and mature topics and there's some, you know, mild nudity because a girl's in the shower washing her hair. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are things like that that we don't get in comics. And I want, um, as a 35 year old who loves comics, um, I really want Wash Day Diaries to be, uh, me and Robin, our goal is like, if this is the first comic a black woman reads like this, that will make our day, you know, and show them that there are comics out there for them and inspire them to go looking. Um, and, and because when you walk into, you know, a comic book shop or a Barnes and Nobles, mm-hmm. you may not see stuff that features characters that look like you. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they're, you know, background characters or mm-hmm. they're written by, you know, straight white men and it just doesn't feel authentic. And so, I hope it inspires um, Black women out there to uh, see that there are comics that can be about them and to maybe write their own and create their own. Um, and that's, I, and yeah. No, <laughs> I, 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 and I also see, I can see Wash Day Diaries and animation too. Listen, exactly. <laughs> I have the same idea. <laughs> I would love for it to be animation uh, because that is definitely an area where. I don't wear black women's stories in adult animation. I don't see that, you know? Um, and so that would be a dream because I love animation as well. And so if, if anybody's listening and interested, they can hit us up. <laughs> you, you're, you're open for discussions and negotiations. Oh, very what you're open. saying? What's the, Jamila, what's the, what's the feedback been like so far about Wash Day Diaries? It's been so amazing. Um, you know, we this is me and Robin's pandemic baby. You know, we created it during the pandemic. It was really difficult. Um, and starting to get the reviews, um, especially from a lot of women who've never read comics before and how they were like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know this is what comics could be like and mm-hmm. how relatable it was and, and how they were laughing out loud or, you know, even crying because it really takes you through all these different emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very affirming, you know, it, it felt very affirming that I am on the right path. That even though, you know, me and Robin don't see a lot of the stories that we want to see in comics um you know that that they are just because they're not there doesn't mean people don't want them and i think that that's the biggest thing that the reviews have told me is that people are thirsty for this kind these kinds of stories and if not an animation i could and i know we've had this storyline before in terms of television Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, but, which has inspired a lot of you know yes. girlfriends, insecure, absolutely living single, know, living all of single. that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's next for you? Oh, I um, well, I have my publishing company, Black Jose Press, and so um, we publish comics that are focused on um, Black and Brown creators, um, women, and non-binary folks. So I'm working on editing some comics that are coming out in a magazine. Um, And I do have some comics that will be in that magazine. Um, I do, me and Robin have worked on a couple of projects together. And so there is another one we hope to work on in the future. Um, So we were, we're a duo that you'll definitely see again. (laughs) What are some tips you want to give to someone who says, you know what, maybe now that I've been listening to Rose talk to Jamila, maybe I'll take a stab at writing. Because, you know, writing for comics and, and, you know, other types of genre within literary, they're all different. Oh, yes. What's that? What's that? A couple golden nuggets you want folks to know? 
I've always yeah, been that's... told just write, you know? <laughs> well, you know, with comics, it's it's very different. Um, and so I was self-taught as far as comics writing. Like I used to write and blog a lot before, but um, for writing for comics, um, you're writing for the artist. And so it is very different and a specific skill. And there are tons of great resources on how to write comic scripts um, there. So I would definitely, you know, go to your library or go to the bookstore and check out books about writing comic scripts so you can see, you know, the kind of information that needs to be in the different panels um, because it is definitely not the same as writing a novel. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> definitely not the same. And so, and I would also suggest starting small, you know, Wash Day, the first um, story in Wash Day Diaries is 27 pages. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had all these ideas of making it bigger or doing more stories, but I'm like, chill, let's start small. <laughs> it's, it's you know, a lot easier to do and um, it can show that you can get something done. So I would definitely say, look up resources about writing comic scripts. You can see free examples of them online as well. Um, and um, if possible, see if you can hire an editor. Um, and that can also help. Yeah. All right. It's a graphic novel titled Wash Day Diaries by Jamila Rosser and Robin Smith. I've been in conversation with Jamila. Best of luck and continued success. I love this copy. It's all mine. Usually I give them away. I'm not giving this one away. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank Rose. you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer for the day was Shelley Canavy. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And of course, if you missed any of today's program, it's online, as always, wabe.org slash closer look. You can catch Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe wherever you like. And stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.